Welcome to Delta Green, Impossible Landscapes, brought to you by Black Project Gaming. Get read in at blackprojectgaming.com. I'm Vince, your host and handler for this campaign. Joining me are Brett, as DEA Special Agent Michael Whitwer, also known as Agent Vega. Cami as FBI Special Agent Geneva Brown, also known as Agent Venus. Doug, as FBI Special Agent Mark Hansom, also known as Agent Meshach. And Jack, as FBI Special Agent Cassandra Troy, also known as Agent Madison. Impossible Landscapes is a campaign of wonder, horror, and conspiracy, written by Dennis Detwiller for Delta Green, the role-playing game. For more information on Delta Green, please visit delta-green.com. This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so in our last session, uh, the party, the group of agents, you all were descending through the cloud waves of Lake Holly, uh, pursued by these night flyers, uh, these strange, amorphous, winged creatures that uh, seem to have zeroed in on you and began to pursue. You all essentially used the power of will and thought and the ability to kind of exercise your will over Carcosa, where you now found yourselves, to will these boats down faster and faster um, to the point where it was it was very likely, you know, you may have ended up scattering your, your boat and yourselves uh, across the cobblestones beneath as you realized that not only were you were not descending to a bottom of a lake, you were descending onto the streets of, of a mirror city to the one above, only this one was still intact. Uh, thankfully, however, you were able to slow your descent enough, I believe, at the very last minute and and land, uh, somewhat the worse for wear, but uh, you now found yourselves in the city of, uh, of Yatil. And at that point, you began kind of navigating your way through the, the palace, a constant presence, and a, a constant sight as you navigated through the war-torn, the war-torn cities, uh, the war-torn streets of the city. Uh, there was a, a number of encounters. You had to kind of make your way through uh, a number of apartment buildings to circumvent uh, some of the various obstacles that had been that had been placed or resulted from debris and destruction in the city itself. Uh, you met a um, you explored an abandoned apartment uh, where, on your way though, uh, you learned. I believe Michael actually learned how to read and speak to an extent, uh, or at least understand Tartesian, the language of Carcosa. Uh, there was some psychic feedback for some of you as you as you attempted to learn the language, specifically Cassie, and it, and it just proved too much for your mind to handle at the moment. Uh, but M- Michael was able to, to, to successfully learn it. And so you explored this abandoned apartment. You met an, an executed family in their apartment, uh, a uh, father, a mother, and a child with pillowcases, bloodstained over their heads and signs of of violence uh, that were still up and moving like nothing was wrong, who uh, recommended you seek out the anarchist in a, another building, who you who you then met as you continued your journey through the city streets uh, and who, you know, told you about the, uh, the masquerade, gave you a bomb, and I believe told you to seek out Ambrose in the clockwork factory uh, on the other side of the war zone. Uh, 
once you got out of there, you made your way through the aforementioned war zone. And it was there that uh, you saw a dying man in the street. You saw uh, a, a group of what you surmised to be German soldiers leading a group of, uh, of essentially teenagers to be executed and hung. Uh, hanged in the street. Uh, you actually engaged those those German soldiers in open fire and killed their leader, which caused some confusion among the remaining troops, uh, which gave you time to uh, make your escape while the, you know their intended victims were also able to get out of there. Uh, and afterwards, as you continued journeying through, you ran into those, uh, those would-be uh, victims again, and they kind of brought you into a basement of a nearby residence where you met uh, residents of the city in hiding. And uh, while the language barrier proved to be uh, slightly difficult, you were able to essentially negotiate uh, Mark through uh, also providing a, a very valuable heirloom, uh, a, a very sentimental item, uh, your watch, to uh, an old man and, and who seemed to approve of the offer. And you all were led through these sewers and tunnels to the uh, the tractor factory where you had to make your way across this this battlefield riddled with with gunfire and artillery and bodies and burnt out tanks and just absolute hell on earth and again kind of tapping into that will and that ability to exert some sort of influence over Carcosa you all attempted to make your way across into and through the tractor factory um, Mark did have some difficulty, but eventually you all were able to get to the other side and you step into the tractor factory only to find yourselves now in this silent city that seems to be untouched by the war through which you crawled and dragged yourselves through to come out the other side. Uh, the sounds of gunfire have faded. Uh, it, it's a much different site and a much different setting from what you just endured. Uh, the palace, of course, continues to hang over this area like a giant all-seeing eye. Uh, three buildings in particular stand out. One of them, of course, is the palace. The other two are this clockwork factory and another building, uh, the purpose of which is unknown at this point, but they kind of loom over everything else. And I think that is where we will pick up unless anybody has any questions. So just to clarify, there's a tractor factory and a clockwork factory. Correct. Are they they're separate things? They are. So the tractor factory is what you made your way through. Okay. Uh, that was like your ultimate objective uh, to get through the city to this new area, to this this new section of uh, Yatil. Right. And but then once we got to the uh, tractor factory, we go inside and we find ourselves looking at the palace and the clockwork factory, but not the tractor factory. Right. Yeah, it was strange. It was like you don't remember making your way through the building, making your way through uh, this other factory. It's almost as if you blink and you can see the building behind you, but you don't recall making your way through it. Or oh, we can see the tractor factory behind us? You can. Oh, okay. All right. You can indeed. Okay. I think I got pretty confused last time about uh, the, the tractor factory versus the clockwork factory, sometimes thinking they were the same. Sure. No, that's that's yeah. totally understandable. But okay. And so it, I wrote down in my notes. I, I assume it was said that the third building is called the gallery. 
It is a gallery, yes. Okay. All right. It looks like a gallery. It does. All right, cool. They are these yeah. are the three. I mean, obviously the, the palace, but the other two are, are the most prominent uh buildings at this point. They're the ones that your eyes are immediately drawn to, different architecture, um, a different height. It's they they are obviously separate from the rest of the buildings around it. And there's a there's also the clockwork factory is next to a pier. It is. Yep. It's okay. built on a pier that juts out over uh, a, a lake. And it, it looks almost like this like 19th century boardwalk mall with peeling mm-hmm. white and red paint. Um, and really it, it dwarfs all the surrounding buildings. Uh, make, an, uh, make an alertness roll, whoever is interested. Yeah, I, I think I'm interested. Mark is looking around his surroundings. Trying to figure all this out. Sure. Given that Mark had such a hard time last time um, wrapping his head around the crazy, which resulted Uh, in him being stuck in the middle of a battlefield. Right. Yeah. Uh, That proved to be logic still proved to be somewhat of an obstacle for you, but eventually you were able to push your way through it with the assistance of the other the other agents who themselves have kind of surrendered to the strange dream logic of Carcosa. Uh, but with those alertness rolls, we've got Cassie with a 73 out of 63. Unfortunately, that's a failure. We've got Geneva with a 47 out of 86, and we've got Mark with a 12 out of 76. The two of you notice that uh, on this factory, on the roof is a, is this strange contraption that's probably the size, it's got to be the size of a small house. Um, it's visible at a great distance. It looks part mechanical merry-go-round with painted wooden horses and part uh, orrery, these these metal spheres on metal tracks. Bronze faces peer out from the four sides of the device, and, and even from down here, you can see steam rising from the mouths. And, and, and uh, Michael, with that 72 out of 82, you see the same as well. I'll say that Cassie's uh, miss is probably due to the fact that we're so close to the palace. Uh, she's kind of looking at the towers, um, almost as if like, sort of like an eye of Sauron moment, as if it's looking back at her, and she's just sort of having a bit of a stare down with it. Absolutely. that the, the, It's almost this, this feeling that you are now so close to Revelation, to the end, um, is just all-consuming, and you can feel that that adrenaline you can feel that knot in your stomach you can feel excitement and anticipation and fear all commingling into this chemical cocktail it's just it's all you can think about and all you can focus on yeah it's so interesting to think about like how a person would react to this level of constant inundation with the insane, like just crazy, like huge scope, completely out of your normal experience. Like, would you still be awed by it or would you eventually just get kind of like shell shocked? Hmm. Well, where's your sanity at? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, mine's pretty good. Um, Is it? It's 52. Not bad. Okay, not bad. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, like big dump that we got back for getting here. Uh, yeah, did did me really well, and I've been doing pretty good on the roll. So, awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the only way I can really connect with it from my own experiences, which is I guess you know how I try to relate to this thing, is 
through the concept of dreams. And right. the mm -hmm. weird thing I find is that a lot of times when when I have dreams, uh, these things almost seem intu intuitively obvious to me when I'm in the dream. I mean, outside of the dream, obviously, you're like, that's that. wow, that was a crazy dream. But inside the dream, you're just like, oh, yeah, no, this is how things work now. At least for me, I don't know if other people have similar kinds of dreams, but you know, dreams yeah. of flying and and I mean, I've I've had some dreams that maybe aren't quite as out there as this, but but rival this in terms of of a, a really weird narrative. Yeah, yeah I think that, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's the whole dream dream logic of like uh, a nightmare being still real despite it's like fantastical nature so like if you think that you're flying in a dream you, it's real but if you're being chased by something and you're scared of it you're not scared of the dream itself you're scared of the thing that's chasing you because that's your reality in the moment right mm -hmm. so what do we do agents well i want to take a closer look at that uh part of the building uh that you mentioned earlier uh there was what steam coming out of it yeah, out of these bronze faces that are that are yeah. kind of on the four sides of the device, but this thing is all the way up on the roof of the factory. Uh, is it possible to take a closer look, like like uh, just a more detailed look from here? Or have we seen as much as we can see from here? You've seen probably as much as you're going to be able to see from down here. Uh, you would really have to have to get up there to get a closer look at, at what exactly this thing is or how it functions. Does I mean? It's bronze faces. Does it look? Does it look like a clock? Almost. Yeah. It's like it's part. It, it, it's it's part like merry-go-round carousel and mm -hmm. part orrery. You know, like this mechanical model of the solar system. Um, you know, these things that kind of spin and rotate around one another. It, it, it's it's very mechanical, very clockwork, uh, like yeah. everything else that you've encountered up to this point. Yeah, like the old, like like the old European clocks, where they right. have very detailed, and and many other things we've seen here have been similar to that. And exactly, yeah, ways. very yeah. very timeless, um, but very also anachronistic to an extent. Yeah, there's like a big. Um, if you ever go to Prague, kind of by mm -hmm. where the main train station is, uh, in the center of the town, there's like this gigantic clock, and at certain times of the day, it has like a like doors open and like little mechanical figures come out and do this little like circuit and go back right. in and the clock is going on. And it just kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, so, uh, going back to one of the places where we saw something closest to this was the cl clockwork monstrosity in Barbus's house. Correct. Yeah. What, I mean, uh, are there uh, are there I, obviously there are similarities but are we seeing the same things I don't remember brass faces in that thing I'm, I'm just no yeah the, the, the monstrosity the uh, the diorama in Barbus's house was it was more of like a scene um, like a specific scene it was like a, a, a play in which you saw yourselves being chased right. through multiple iterations of, of the city uh, by the gas masked men um, so different function and definitely not, not even a fraction as big as the thing that you're now seeing up there. Uh, you know, you're, you're talking, one was like the size of 
roughly like a pool table, I believe. And this thing is about as big as a small house. Who's the, guy who's, who's the guy who made, who uh, we found the, uh, what was it, like the blueprint for, or like the, the diagram for, was it Linst, JB Linst? No, are you talking about the mechanical blueprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the lion and the scribe. Okay. And that had been on the wall of Abigail's apartment. Got it. The lion, which is what you saw in, I think you saw both the lion and the scribe. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. It was, it was on the the, uh, the paper, the uh, the napkins. Correct. And yeah. both ended up being in Barbus's house. Yeah. But it all just looks like similarly, like of the same make, like the same. Right. Got it. Okay, cool. Right. What's uh, Geneva up to? What is she doing? Um, I mean, honestly, I think she's still in very much this headspace of just like getting to the next place. Uh, so once we've kind of like scoped it out, I mean, she knows we have to get to a pier. So she's looking for the quickest and safest route to head in that direction. Okay, perfect. Do you all follow? Yeah. yeah, he goes wherever she goes. I'd say that Cassandra would be a little bit too fixated on the palace, uh, and Mark would, no- would would notice that if he starts to turn around and go with the others, that she's not coming with them. Yeah, um, Mark turns around to, uh, to Cassie and says, "Ah, uh, uh, we we should keep up. It's right there." Yeah. Well, I reckon that's where we're headed. That's where the party is, isn't it? I guess so. I I guess going back means going forward, means going through. Well, I think you understand that better than I do. Yeah, she'll turn around finally and face you and uh, she'll follow. All right. Who, who's got um? Who has the postcard from Barbus's house? Uh, I do. The as you approach this building and the pier, um, your eyes can you know fixated on the palace. You realize that the view is the same, like from this horizon. Right. Got it. So roll, yeah, sure. roll sanity. You know it's my favorite thing to do. Hey, 17 out of 25. Jesus, that's low. Uh, <laughs> you lose nothing. Uh, but th- there's still this, uh, you know, again, this this unsettling. At this point, though, probably used to, you're used to the sensation that all of this is kind of falling into place. And yeah, I'll take it one further and just say that, like, when she sees the postcard, she'll hold it in front of her so that if anyone is wondering what she's doing, she's, like, comparing the view in the postcard to the view that she has right now. Um, but it's almost like, you know, you get a postcard of France and you see the Eiffel Tower and then you go to France and you're holding the postcard there and you see it and it's just kind of exactly. the reality is there. I think if Cassie is doing that, it would be hard for Mark not to look at the postcard and notice a similarity as well. Yeah, if you're looking, go ahead and roll. Yeah, I mean, Andy roll. it would be, you know, Mark. Mark's right. interested in what Cassie's interested in. Totally. Uh, he's worried. Um, that is an eight. 
Dang yeah. on, isn't that? Yeah. Good roll. Yeah, you lose nothing. Finally. Yeah, yeah. I see it too. This you is catch up with the others. Yeah, this I I think this has all been planned for a very long time. Do you, do you believe in in, in uh, prede, predestination? You mean fate? Yeah. I mean, they they say that God has numbered your days, that he knows every hair on your head. I just, I just don't see why we would be heading into all this if it weren't part of some kind of plan. Do you think this is a punishment? Do you think this is something that that we deserve from what we did back then? You mean like for what happened with Sharon? Kids? Before that. When we first came to to the apartment building. I... I know you took it harder than I did. That was a lot to deal with. But I I honestly believe we did what we had to do, Sandra. Don't you, I mean, don't you see that? We didn't have a choice. Destiny or fate or whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's about what's, it's about planning ahead. It's about establishing what's going to happen in your future but that requires a sense of time that I don't think exists here anymore I'm just gonna pretend I understood any of that the only way out is through and uh, Cassandra will put the, the postcard away and start to walk past Mark and catch up to Geneva and Michael well that I understand and Mark follows you approach this this brick building that's been painted uh, red and, and white, this, the paint chipping away and fading. And you regard this this building, and there is a door that stands open. If you didn't, it looks abandoned. Um, the door is ajar. The windows are dark. Um, the windows that you can see are kind of set high up. On, on the building itself. Um, it kind of looms over you at this point, two to three stories tall. Uh, but you can't see a way inside. Yeah, I mean, Geneva will um, try to head in. I think still keeping up whatever kind of stealth that they can <laughs> so as not to get into another crossfire or, uh, you know, anything like that. So cool. Okay. Trying to find the safest route that they can get in. So as you kind of step inside, uh, go ahead and for those who are trying to be quiet, go ahead and make those stealth rolls. Oh, geez. I should have looked at my stealth score before I said that. <laughs> stealth has never been a strong suit. Of <laughs> <Nope. ours. laughs> Oof. There's Mark with a big old fumble. 77. Oh, how? <laughs> 
Some of these yeah, are I got really a, the highest really health score I've ever had, I think. I love that, yeah, uh, Geneva and Cassandra got one point away from failure. One point away, <laughs> yeah. Cassie with a 16 out of 17. Mark with a 77 out of 10. That's a, that's a fumble. Uh, Geneva with a 10 out of 11. And Michael with a 15 out of 12. It, it it's hard you you kind of there's no if ends or buts about it you make a little bit of a racket coming inside uh yeah. it, there's a stumble and and a tr- and a trip and there's broken glass on the on the cement floor and it's just uh it, it is impossible not to make noise and the way that every little sound reverberates off the brick and concrete around you uh it, you have announced your arrival to all However, it doesn't look like there's anyone around at this point. The interior is is this vast and airy. It's dimly lit from uh, high set windows on those exterior walls. Water, you can hear it dripping from the ceiling and pooling and cracks and potholes. The first thing you notice are machine parts just kind of piled throughout, clumped in groups, uh, all kind of almost categorized. There's one, all parts are bronze. Another is all cogs. Another is nothing but hinges. All these mechanical pieces just kind of lying around. Uh, somebody uh, make an alertness roll. I've got a 63. I have an 86. Yes, you, you do it then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, with a 6 out of 86. <laughs> Geneva. Um, you can kind of, as your eyes begin to adjust to the darkness and the, and the dim light in here, uh, you can see kind of further in this slight flicker that reminds you of either candle or lantern light. Uh, yeah, I think she'll kind of point it out to the others and head that way. Uh, what was the name of the guy that we were supposed to meet? Ambrose. Ambrose, that's right. Okay, yeah. Assuming that's where Ambrose is. You do notice a tall uh, a shadow kind of separates itself from the darkness around you and you you have that slight jump that slight sudden uh fight or flight response as as you see this sudden figure just kind of appear and move across a doorway it's a tall thin shadowed figure wearing this red robe kind of moving in the direction of that flicker that you saw he's carrying a box rapidly through these stacks of machine parts the box seems to it bears a Chiquita Bananas logo, of all things. Uh, but he seems to move deeper into the building. It's the weirdest thing we've seen so far. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> Chiquita Bananas. Um, yeah, I, I, something tells me to just go after him. And Mark's just going to take off. Okay. Everybody following? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael you... somewhat reluctantly, I will say. <laughs> like he sure. does like a heavy sigh first and then hikes up his little robe and goes. You you pursue moving among these these stacks of machine parts, and you notice that uh, there are these candles and these bronze candelabras that are placed next to or on top of a variety of these strange clockwork machines of various make and function. Um, Really uh, almost impossible to tell what they could possibly be for, but again, 
these are sights that you've kind of become used to at this point. You've seen the lion, seeing the scribe, seeing the diorama in Barbus's house, seeing this thing on top of the roof of the very building you're now in. And you make your way through. And as you turn a corner, you see, you enter a, a larger chamber and there's a ring of candles in the center of the room. Uh, darkness kind of all around. The, the the light from the windows does not seem to reach in here. In fact, you can't see any windows in this part of the building. And in the center of this ring of candles is this short, stocky old man with a bushy gray beard and curly white hair wearing this strange kind of silvery robe without markings. It looks like he's got a, a giant monkey wrench, wrench in one hand. Does the silvery robe look like the silvery robe set? Cassandra has seen before. It does. Yep. Okay. Cassandra will actually break away and, and approach. As you do, um, you can hear kind of this this man talking. Oh, you like the idea of a mask on it, do you? We'll see what we can do about your wheel soon, my friend. And you hear this clicking and clacking as the clockwork child that you've seen before, the very one who delivered the, the message from Abby when you awoke from the Dorchester house, rolls into the light. The man then calls out, My young friends, please come closer. Cassandra will look down at the, the, uh, the automaton girl and... Before he says that, we'll actually kneel down and just gently caress its cheek as if it's like a child, a real child, um, and looking into its eyes. Uh, and then hearing the man speak, she snaps back into whatever reality they're in and uh, looks back at the others to see if they hear the same thing or if they're reacting to him. They all do. Yeah, you all see this man and, and hear his, his summons to come closer. And, and we also recognize the clockwork child. I, I, I think there's there's recognition in uh, at least Mark's Mark's eyes as, yeah. he's, as he's looking at this thing, which the clockwork char- child has always been creepy, but hasn't seemed terribly dangerous, I guess. Right. How That's far a- back did we encounter the clockwork child the first time? Was that in the building? It was in so, the night floors, right? Yeah, the very yeah. first the very first one who encountered it was um it's Jenny. Jenny. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. So Michael and um Geneva wouldn't have any recollection, right? Not at this point, no. Well there the clockwork child gave us the invitation, which was right before we saw Michael and Geneva. I don't know if they saw it. They did not. Okay. Uh Michael will still Again, like a little hesitantly, but we'll start following Cassandra. What can I do for you? What brings you here? We've got a party to go to. Ah, the masquerade. Yes. We're looking for an Ambrose. He grins ear to ear and kind of does this very elaborate bow. You know, kind of flipping, flicking the the robe as he does so, and kind of spins his arms, and is very extravagant, very performative. You have the pleasure of meeting his acquaintance. I am Ambrose. 
And who might you be? That's a good question. An ally. Uh, my name is Michael. <laughs> and Michael holds out his hand. He shakes it, kind of bows. Is it a firm grip or like one of those limp fish? It's it's firm. It's a firm grip. And, and his hands, he's obviously used to uh, manual labor. Like there's calluses and, and it's rough and thick. And this is a man who's used to working with his hands and tools of various makes. Can I ask you a question? And I... I, I realize it's, I mean, it's probably not going to get me anywhere, but what the hell, right? He looks expectantly at him. What the hell indeed? Can you tell me what the fuck is going on? Like just literally any, any information about what's happening. Anything you can tell me. I know we're going to a party. I know uh, some some other crazy shit is going on, but it, none of it really has ever actually made sense. Uh, and maybe it's not supposed to, but you seem like you know what's going on. So, uh, well, I'm afraid you'd have to be a slightly more specific. Um, what is it? You, uh, I'm not, he looks kind of at the others confused. I'll be honest with you, my friend. I'm not sure how to answer that question. Literally pick one piece of information you think is good or helpful and give it to me. And I and I will be the happiest human on the face of the earth. I swear to God. Are we on the face of the earth? Uh, well, I, I, I've always been here as far as I can remember. I, I maintain and build things on the orders of the king. And my friend here, he delivers them to his court and... Sometimes people come to pick my creations up, but it's, it's really been a long time since I've seen anyone living. So you're dead? No, no, no. I just haven't had company and, and well, to be completely honest, I can't remember the one. The last time I had company was the, there's the woman and the man, but I can't even tell you how long ago that was. Are you a human being? Last I checked. I'm, I'm not trying to insult you. You look like one. You seem like one. You seem great. But are you a human being? To the best of my knowledge, my friend. Uh, Michael goes and sits on the nearest available surface and just puts his knees on his, or sorry, his elbows on his knees and his forehead into the palms of his hands. And then looks up briefly and says, thank you. And then puts his head back down. Uh, certainly, of course. Um, Hang on. You you mentioned a woman and a man came to you? Uh, they passed through uh, on their way to the palace, yes. How, how long ago was that? Oh. I... I don't know. Um, did they say anything? Did they give you a name? Did you catch what they look like uh I, I remember their names um the man was Emmett and the woman was Abigail that sounds right yes Abigail yeah Abigail right uh perhaps uh, she didn't give a last name but 
I do remember Abigail. This child of yours, how often is she called to deliver to the king? Uh, frequently. That's my sole function here, is to make uh, various devices and parts and repairs for, for him. Would we be able to have her escort us to this masquerade? It's getting to this factory was uh, not easy. Uh, perhaps if she accompanies us, it might be safer for all of us. Well, I can take you, certainly. Even better. Uh, you do have your invitations, though, correct? Yes. All of you? Uh, Don't we just have one invitation? Yeah, I think yeah. we just have one. Yeah, Cassandra just looks around uh, anxiously at the others to see if they maybe have an invitation that they didn't say anything about. We all have one total. Oh, that, that won't that won't do at all. If you all hope to get inside, you will all need your own invitations. Uh, do you have costumes? Do you have masks? This is a masquerade after all. You can't, you can't show up like this. This is unsatisfactory. This might be a little weird, but since it's worked to some degree before, um, as he's talking and as he, uh, Geneva and the others are talking with him, uh, Cassandra's going to think about the fact that they've only got the one invitation and holding her hand in her pocket where the invitation was. Uh, she's she's going to think about having invitations for the others. Uh, it, it, does anything happen? No, you just have okay. the one. Yeah. And in fact, in fact, you don't have an invitation. The only one who does is Geneva, who got an invitation from the anarchist along with the bomb. Oh, that one. Oh, I thought you were talking about the one that we got at uh, What's-His-Face's house. Oh, yeah. That wasn't even an invitation. That was just a missive. From okay. No, yeah, scratch that. I'm sorry. I totally misunderstood it. Yeah. No, you're good. Scratch yeah. It. I want to do something kind of along the same lines as, as Jack, but I want to um, think about myself. Uh, Michael's going to think really, really, really hard about him uh, being in a tuxedo and wearing the most elaborate masquerade mask of all time. We're talking like tuxedo mask ass. Get up. Sure. Nothing happens. Okay. He he seems disappointed, but also <laughs> no one can tell. His face is in his hands still. Do you need additional? Well, of course you need additional invitations. Only one of you has one. Yeah, we were told that you could help get us in. Well, I'm afraid I, I have none uh, available. As I've said, this is this is my place. The masquerade, unfortunately, is not for me. However, uh, I do know where we can potentially get more. Um, there is a scribe in the building, the the gallery uh, next door. We can we can take you. Uh, How did? When you say scribe, are you talking about a person or a machine? Oh, machine. Uh, the most glorious contraption. Yeah, yeah. Hold on just a second. Uh, are you sure it's safe? Oh, uh, very. The, the gallery itself, um, if you want to safely navigate it, you will have to listen to my instructions and not deviate in the slightest. Uh, people have had a tendency to get lost. 
inside, but um, it is not without its risk. But once we get to the scribe, the scribe himself is is entirely harmless. Well, I gotta tell you, I've, I've I think I've seen pictures of this scribe, and it it didn't look safe. Oh, you mean the lion? Well, yeah. I mean, they kind of they both have some broad similarities. They do, uh, and vast differences as well. The uh, I assure you, the scribe uh, does exactly as its name would suggest it. It writes, it creates. The lion protects and destroys. We will follow your instructions. We just need to get in. But you have costumes. We weren't exactly prepared for this when we ended up here. So, no, unfortunately. Well, that, my beautiful friend, I can assist you with. Uh, please, uh, give me a moment. Uh, child, come. And the the clockwork child kind of wheels around under its own power and follows him off into the dark. And you hear, you, you vaguely see him kind of messing with uh, various racks that seem to be in place and boxes and moving. And uh, a few minutes pass and he, he comes with, with an armful of... Uh, robes and gowns of various make and uh, and, and masks, these elaborate mechanical masks that are made of like woven metal, brass and mechanical parts. There are uh, animals, five of them. A frog, a hawk, a fly, a minotaur, and a heron. And their eyes are they they are actuated the mouths appear like they move up and down these are these are beautifully made um and he presents them all to you and say uh, have your pick what are they again uh a frog a hawk a fly a minotaur and a heron and they're like these full face masks and then the robes themselves there's gold there's silver there's like a bronzish a green a blue Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out which one Cassandra would be gravitating towards. I think Michael would, if nobody else has a, you know, has a pressing desire for it, would probably go for the heron, because he tends to freeze when he's scared. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Geneva might grab the hawk, I think. As soon as he said hawk, I was like, that shit's Geneva's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cassandra looks over at, at Mark to see which one he's considering. Uh, Mark's definitely not going for the fly uh, or the minotaur. Those things are too weird. He's, uh, he's He just grabs the frog. Yeah, when you do that, uh, Cassandra, is, she looks really conflicted, um, strangely enough, uh, trying to contemplate the implications of what mask. Also thinking that, like, given the weirdness, you know, what she might end up becoming, like, maybe, like, they get turned into something, like, that their mask is, I don't know. Um, but with that thought in her head, she will take the Minotaur. How do you think that's actually pretty fitting for Cassandra, with the, like, labyrinthine implications, you know what I mean? I'll take it. Yeah, trapped in the labyrinth, always kind of looking for a way out. Ooh, there you go. There you go. Or Guardian of the Labyrinth, she's gonna stick around and help out others 
There you go. We'll destroy them. Oh, hopefully these are to your liking. Uh, yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, do you have a place where I could... Uh, do you have any bandages? And Michael has pulled off his shoes and he's pointing to his, like, rock and glass-cut feet. Oh, my dear. Uh, yeah, yes. Um, I'm afraid they're just rags and scraps from various clothing items that haven't been used yet, but uh, of course, help yourself, please. Thank you. You know, barefoot through a warfield, so. Yes. Um, do you all want to proceed to the to the scribe? Yes, please. Uh, and then we will return here, and uh, should you need escort to the rest of the way to the palace, we can we can take my orrery. Um, we'll get you there much quicker. Ambrose, as we're, I, I assume we're walking now with him. Yeah, um, him and and the clockwork child begin. You know, he's walking. The child is kind of rolling along on this rickety, squeaky wheel. Um, you can hear it just kind of squeaking and grinding as it as it moves uh, as they, they take you through the building out towards the back. Not to uh, stretch the costume part on longer than it needed to be, but uh, for the masks, uh, that part we've got locked down. What were the? Did he have like bundles of like actual costume clothes, or were they like fancy dress clothes? Like what was the? Just like robes and cloaks. Okay, we put those on. If you want to, yeah, yeah. you can. Uh, but but what Cassandra was going to ask him actually was um, uh, these these robes, the silver one that you wear in particular. Is there significance? Is there uh, is, it, is there a meaning? Uh, no, to be frank, they're just the first ones I grabbed. Where do you get them? I've, I've, I'm asking because I've seen others wearing them. I've seen them uh, a lot actually throughout my life and I didn't know if there was some significance to the color or the design or you mean the masks or the, the robes the robes uh, no, the silver none. robes specifically no not to my knowledge anyway again I don't <laughs> you'll forgive me I don't get out much that's fair and uh yeah uh, Cassandra will drop it and keep walking with the others Eventually, you all you kind of squint against the daylight, or this this at least this strange kind of soft twilight that seems to be perpetually hanging over the city. Uh, but after the darkness of the interior of the factory, it it, it takes a, a, just a moment for your eyes to adjust, and you step back outside. And uh, Ambrose and the child, you know, very patiently lead you down uh, a street to to this next building, the the one that you've kind of come to know as the gallery. Uh, in this case, it's, it's a very opulent looking, almost like a museum. It's all marble and pillars and columns and uh, a grand stairs leading up to the main entrance. And uh, again, no activity. It's You can't even remember the last time you've seen people around at this point. There's, there's nobody out and about on the streets. It seems to be you and there's this eerie quiet that has settled over the city. Uh, especially compared with the chaos of of the la- you know the the war zone and everything else you kind of pushed through, uh, but 
uh, Ambrose kind of reaches down and picks up the clockwork child and uh, this very small contraption and kind of carries it under one arm up the stairs to the main entrance before he sets it down and, and kind of holds open the door. Uh, again, uh, if you would, uh, just a moment. Um, I highly recommend you don't look at any of the paintings. Understood. Is it worth asking why? Um, they have a tendency to unsettle and uh, individuals who have perhaps looked too long don't find themselves seeing much after that. Noted. Mark's looking directly at Cassandra. He reaches over towards her hand and uh, takes it if she doesn't pull away. He says, looking straight into her eyes, you're not going to look at the paintings, are you? No. We're here for the party. The mask. Yeah. Just yeah, keep your mind on that. I'm trying. Yep, he turns to uh, Ambrose and uh, just raises his eyebrows to indicate that he's ready to go. Marvelous. Yes. Uh, onward, my friends. Yes, here we go. Okay. And he steps inside and uh, with with you know him and the clockwork child kind of walking side by side, he leads you into this, this museum, this gallery. Um, high ceilings, marble. You see sculptures. You see paintings, sketches. You see um, all manner of art and books and you see uh there are even in some cases slideshows like old 1950s era um 1960s era you know what the projectors set up and projecting images onto the walls it's art is literally everywhere it's there is a method to the organization and uh perhaps but it it's impossible for you to discern um at this point it's just Literally every available surface is features some installment or some piece of art. Um, yes, eyes forward, please follow me. And he begins leading you down uh, a series of hallways deeper and deeper into this gallery. It's dark. Uh, there are candles and candelabras that are lit, some oil lanterns, but for the most part, it is. Uh, is at least slightly better lit than the inside of the factory, but it almost feels darker, if that makes sense. It's There's definitely an oppressive air kind of hanging over everything. And as, as you walk past these pieces of art, you feel you definitely cannot shake that feeling of being watched. What do you do? Cassandra is focusing and trying as hard as she can to keep her eyes to the ground, um, but is definitely struggling too. Okay. I think Michael's like nervously, um, kind of like nervously spinning the hammer. You know, when you're holding the handle of something and you kind of like flick it and let it like spin a little and catch it and flick it and let it spin a little and catch it. He's doing that over and over again. Uh, and he didn't change into one of the silver ropes. He's still wearing his bathrobe just with the hair and mask on. Okay. 
I'm guessing Geneva is just stoic and dead-faced, just straight ahead. Oh yeah, she's not going to tempt fate right now. No thanks. Beautiful. I So, I think Mark is going to do his best not to look directly at any of the paintings. Uh, but at the same time, uh, my curiosity is too high. Um... Without looking like directly at them, are there any of them through the the colors or or, or something like that that draw that remind him of what we saw in Abigail Wright's place, which was another collection of all sorts of art? Nothing as chaotic and disjointed as what that had been. Oh, um, okay. okay. Yeah, no, nothing like where it was like all pieces of like junk and detritus just kind of amalgamated on this single wall. Um, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, it's almost like walking through um, a museum like the Louvre or, you know, something in New York, you know, where uh, only not as like there's sculpture, like, you know, typically you go to one wing, it's sculptures, you go to another wing, it's, it's, you know, oil works from a particular era. Like in this case, it's all just kind of intermingled with one another in no particular order or rhyme or reason at least none that you can figure out but uh, it's kind of it's just everywhere but it's like controlled chaos it's not like abigail's apartment it, almost kind of in the same way like there, there's a method to the madness you just you're not mad enough to know what that method is quite yet okay if that makes sense yeah but as you make your way through eventually he kind of turns a corner um into this this alcove and there is a there's no place else to go at this point i mean there's obviously hallways to the left and right but you're, you've kind of reached this dead end uh whether you're unable to continue going forward it's either back the way you came or to the left and to the right and at the end of this alcove is a um velvet rope and a display where you see this oversized mannequin resembling this strangely proportioned porcelain doll of a 17th century gentleman sitting at a desk uh, you see a you know this this desk itself you see a quill in one hand you see uh, an ink pot you see paper you see a tray off to the side I, I guess this is a scribe as you say that it begins writing what is it writing can I see uh, roll alertness. Okay. Ouch. Hard An to 89? see. Yeah, 89 to 76. Hard to see without getting past the rope at this point, but Ambrose does confirm uh, this This is the scribe. Uh, you have the invitation, yes? Oh, yeah. Uh, she will hand it over. Uh, he he kind of holds a hand back and says, uh, for this to work, you, you must be the one to place it. Um, oh. The, the tray to the left. Yeah, she will go put it down. As soon as you put the invitation in the left tray, it goes through this kind of, not quite a transformation, but this one hand springs forward and moves the, the, the paper that it had been scribbling on off and discards it. Pulls out a blank template from inside the desk that perfectly matches the one upon which the invitation has been written. It places it on the desk and scribbles out a separate invitation uh, for one of you, whoever's next in line. 
Probably Michael, right? Yeah. Um, and I think when he approaches the machine, because I, I would have to approach the machine to get the thing at work, right? Right, yeah. And you notice that the, the first invitation, it kind of scribbles out rapidly, its hand moving almost impossibly fast as it begins kind of scrolling. It, it, it is an invitation to the masquerade made out to specifically Geneva Brown. Okay. So he'll hand the invitation to Geneva then? And as you approach, it springs to life again and begins writing out another invitation sure, this gotcha. to Michael Whitwer. And again... <laughs> to Mark Handsome, and finally to Cassandra Troy. Hey, Ambrose, does this thing, can we ask it questions? Um, no, it, it, it is not um, intelligent in that sense. It, it is not capable of responding in that way. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. And one by one, the scribe, as each of you approach, spins up, writes another invitation, pulls out another template, writes out another invitation, until finally all of you have your own. Yeah, uh, Cassandra's holding it in between uh, both of her hands, just looking, staring down at it, trying to keep her eyes on, on the invitation itself so that she's not looking at any of the paintings. Or artworks in the, the gallery. Good. Okay. Uh, and Ambrose looks at you all and says, if that's all, uh, to the palace? Yes, please. Uh, of course. Uh, follow me. And again, he and the clockwork child kind of take off and uh, begin escorting you out until finally you make your way back outside of the gallery, this museum. And, uh, but this time he kind of leads you directly back to the factory where you initially encountered him. And, uh, he takes a staircase up to the roof and you can actually see, uh, for the first time up close, this, this thing that he referred to as the orrery. Uh, in the meantime, during the journey back, do you all talk, talk about anything, do anything? Well, once Cassandra sees that they're out on the street, she'll finally look up and uh, blink her eyes a bit, uh, making sure that, you know, everything seems as it is and she's not surrounded by evil artwork anymore. And uh, But I don't, I don't think she would say anything unless provoked. Okay. I think Michael will uh, pick up his face a little bit so that he's walking beside Geneva rather than behind her and reach out and... Uh, take her hand if she'll allow it. Yeah. Yeah, I think she would. And then he'll just say, do you think this is it? Is this the end? I have no clue. I hope so. We might also be starting something completely new. We'll find out feels like an ending, I think. Yeah, she doesn't look as certain as as you, but just kind of gives a small hopeful nod. Geneva, I don't think I'm going to live through this. 
Have you ever thought that before? Or felt it, I guess? That knowledge that, you know. Yeah, I mean, many times, many jobs. I think I always go in knowing that my job isn't necessarily to live through it. So it's always an option. I will agree, though, that this in particular feels uh, more fatal <laughs> than previous ones. How are you so calm? I don't know. I guess I kind of just accepted what this job was a long time ago. I don't survive it. It's just part of the gig. Don't you have things you're going to miss? She looks a little comp compliment compl I cannot say it. Contemplative. Thank you. <laughs> Could not get it out that. Yes. For a brief second. Um, she's like, uh, a good steak, maybe. I don't know. A good steak? He looks like he might, like he looks like a little incredulous uh, and then realizes that he's, it's like maybe not his place to interrogate the things that you care about or enjoy. Um, and so kind of like masters his face a little and then goes, I mean, it is good when it's good. Huh? I mean, we don't talk about our personal lives that often, but honestly, I don't have much to say about mine. I pushed it away a long time ago. Well, for what it's worth, I'm really glad you're here. I mean, I'm not glad you're here because it fucking sucks here. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I'm glad it's... I don't know. If it had to be someone, I'm glad it's you. Yeah, likewise. He, he, like, leans his head over a little uh, and kind of, like, taps her on the side of her head with his head. You've been a good partner for a long time. I'm a dog shit partner, and you carried my ass through a lot of stuff, but thank you. For <laughs> I appreciate it. Anytime. Mark, Cassie, do you all talk at all? If Mark has something to say, uh, she'll entertain him, but otherwise she's just full steam ahead. Yeah, I think Mark is... Uh kind of uncharacteristically quiet at this point, uh, given all they're facing. Fair enough. Trying to figure out what it all means. Ambrose leaves the clockwork child at the, the foot of the staircase uh, that leads to the roof and says, uh, I'll be back soon. Don't miss me too much. Let's take our friends to the palace and we'll get right back to work. Uh, you, You four, please follow me. And he leads you up and up and up to the roof to this strange steam powered machine that looks like a perverse merry-go-round. This close you can see there are these wooden painted sculptures like horses, fish, and dogs all along its deck bearing saddles. It looks like it could fit as many as six, not including Ambrose himself. There seems to be like a central booth. 
and almost like a cockpit. Well, this is this is the orrery. This will take us uh, really anywhere we need to go. Thank you, Ambrose. Ah, think nothing of it, my friend. Please uh, choose a seat, strap yourselves in. Um, here, uh, and he reaches in t- underneath a, a console in that central booth, and he pulls out goggles and hands a pair to each of you. Would we need them if we're wearing the masks? Um, you may want to take the masks off for the ride. Um, I wouldn't want to lose them now. That's fair. And, uh, yeah, she, Cassandra will take off. Actually, she'll start to take off the Minotaur mask, but then wait to see what the others do. As always, Michael will follow Geneva's lead. <laughs> Everybody's following Geneva's lead. <laughs> Everyone looks yeah. at her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... I think she wants to keep hers on. I think she feels it's like just the slightest bit of comfort of thinking that whoever they're going to run across can't see her face. <laughs> uh, well, at least, um, do, do you mind? And he kind of like holds the strap of the goggles out and goes to like put them over you and just kind of waits for you to give him the go ahead. Yeah, she will. He, he kind of settles it over the eye openings. Um, the Bree, uh, potentially. We'd, we've come this far. Right. Um, well, when you're ready, um, and he'll kind of, for those keeping the masks on, he'll, he'll help you and then strap you in to your seats. Yeah, yeah Mark, Mark would take his mask off and uh, dutifully put on the goggles. Good man. Uh, good man, yes. Well... Hold on, my friends. He takes his position in this central booth and begins throwing levers, and immediately this orrery begins to spin and rotate and spin and spewing steam and shrieking and rattling until finally you're rotating so fast that the outside world is nothing but this multicolored blur spinning out of control, and suddenly you're lifting and you're moving. This thing leaps from the roof of the factory, and you can't tell what direction is east, west, north, south, up or down. All there is is this nauseating, shattering spin, this sensation of just constant motion in all directions, just spinning and spinning. You don't know how long it spins like that for or how long you are just breathlessly holding on to your seat, to your mask, to your, your eyes shut open, trying to make sense, whatever. It is just pure chaotic motion. But eventually you feel the thing settle with a, th- a thump and eventually the spinning stops. I need everyone to roll sanity. <laughs> There we go. That's the t- that's the stuff. Mark with a sixty-two out of fifty-seven. Geneva with a sixty-five out of thirty-nine. Cassie with a forty-seven out of twenty-five, and Michael with a twenty-one out of fifty-two. So the only one to succeed. Uh, Cassie, Geneva, and Mark. Uh, roll one d six for me. 
honestly, like Michael's uh, sanity rules have been crazy since we've got yeah. here. And it does not fit his character at all. He should be a gibbering mess. <laughs> right. Uh, so Cassie for one minute, Mark for two minutes, and Geneva for four minutes. You you suffer from just this overwhelming sensation of vertigo and nausea. And you can barely just stand up after kind of prying yourself out of your seat. Uh, all your rolls will be 40, at negative 40% for the next, for that amount of time. Okay. Like, like in real life, th- that amount of time, or like, how do you track that? Uh, narratively. Okay. I'll do, I'll do my handler thing and just kind of, that feels like it's been enough time. Okay. Um, <laughs> Geneva, you're, you're looking particularly bad. <laughs> And uh, he kind of walks over to you and pats you on the back. Marvelous contraption. She kind of like does that little like woozy kind of like, oh my God, okay, don't, (laughs) easy. (laughs) Well, my friends, do you need anything else? Uh, Just a minute to get our bearings, my bearings anyway. And then she looks over at Geneva and says our bearings. I, I, I think I might need a bucket. Ah, yes. Uh, not in the orrery, please. Honestly, I usually hate that kind of thing, but that was exhilarating. <laughs> right? Mark looks at Michael like, shut the F up. <laughs> Mark doesn't cuss much, but he probably wants to in that moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like he's usually like again he's a coward, but he has like a like a little kid just getting off their first sort of roller coaster ride look on his face. <laughs> you just got out of the teacups and you're just living life, loving it. Exactly. It actually out of character just remind me of like has anyone been to like a carnival and just been on this the uh, the starship? Yeah. Where you just like stick to the wall and it goes super fast. I love that thing. I already too, yeah. I was always too much of a chicken to try it. Yeah, no, it's it's take that and then pump it up to 11. And and you can still see the outside world and, and probably a similar sensation. Love it. Uh, I would imagine oh, it's it's like that, but also combined with that death drop ride where it just takes you up like 15 uh, stories and yes. frees up you. Yeah, combine those two and that's that's relatively the sensation you're looking at. Yeah, no, fuck that. So you all kind of just go right to the head of the line? Yeah, yeah. I think especially since everyone's kind of, you know, drunk off their tits and uh, seems to be a part of this world, I think that would just reinforce the fact that, like, the four of us are special and we're honored guests in some way and that we are supposed to be in there uh, as soon as possible. Okay. You approach the gate and you can see that there that there are two guards manning this entry point and checking invitations, uh, searching the party goers uh, before being permitted to enter. They're wearing these ceremonial outfits, these red velvet coats with golden piping and gold lion masks. Uh, Each one is wearing a holstered revolver and carrying a long halberd with what looks like a hooked blade. You can only see two there at the gate, uh, more but can actually be seen beyond it on the palace grounds, patrolling the perimeter. Uh, as you approach, they well, one of them holds out a hand and says, Halt! 
Invitation. Cassandra will not say anything, just look up at him with her her Minotaur mask, uh, looking him in the eyes and just pull out the invitation that she has uh, from the scribe. Arms to the side, please. She complies and pats you down. And the same goes for all of you. You're all patted down. What's odd is they find the firearms. They find the bomb. Because uh, there's really no way to conceal that. Yeah, I didn't think so. And it, what's odd is that they just are kind of very dismissive of it. Like they, you know, one of them kind of looks at the bomb and just very carelessly tosses it into a box uh, next to the gate. And the pistols as well just kind of looks it over into the box it goes. Very not oddly nonchalant. But everything else that's not a weapon, your invitations, the bottle, they have no issues with you keeping. And as you uh, make an alert, for those kind of looking around as this is going on, make an alertness roll. Do they, I'm assuming the answer to this is yes, but just in case it's not, do they take my hammer? <laughs> yes. No. Weird. Uh, Geneva with that 34 of 86. Mark with a 42 out of 76. A. Uh, Michael with a 3 out of 82. And Cassie with an 80 out of 63. Those succeed. You kind of look around and you notice that th- there's definitely a um, a new level of chatter. Uh, some of the individuals in line, and there's got to be hundreds of them, uh, extending from those gates that you've now find yourselves at to around the corner. A lot of them are just kind of glaring at you now with these jaundiced eyes and are just kind of whispering amongst themselves as they just stare at you nastily. Obviously, there's some aggravation that those that have been waiting in line have now been cut by these these very these fish out of water, quite literally. Um, but uh, the guards, you know, conclude their search and seeing that you all have your invitations, you all are appropriately adorned and masked. Uh, one of the guards stands to the side with an arm and says, "Enjoy the masquerade." Long live the king. Long live the king. And uh, Cassandra will walk past him and just go. Yeah, uh, Geneva walks in, uh, kind of maybe taking an extra look or note of where the box with her firearm and the bomb was set. And maybe like as they're passing it and like going through, maybe seeing like, all right, if I were to try to get that at some point, what would be like the best way to do that? Not that she's making any moves to do that now, but just kind of trying to scope the area out. Got it. Yeah. So you would essentially, uh, in order to gain access to it again, you know that you would actually have to physically either get past or depart through that gate that you are now entering and, and get to on the other side. So this box gotcha. is on, yeah, is on the entrance side of the gate um, and not far from the side of one of these guards. Damn. Okay. But with that, let me, let me cue up some music. Person party music? Yes, of course. Turn up. That's just ABBA. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Let's get in. <laughs> Fuck you. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> As we make our way through through the gates, though, Mark is going to look at, at Cassandra and, and say, you don't really mean that, 
Long live the king, right? She doesn't say anything. I mean, we're Americans. We don't believe in kings, right? And he'll let it go at that. Yeah, you you see that she's as soon as she hears the uh, the very baroque style music and sees the opulence of everything, you see that she almost like she not even almost she she straightens up. She takes on this poise of, and it's a poise that you haven't seen in her for years, uh, given the fact that she you know. Uh, the last time you saw her, she was you know basically homeless uh, and a drug addict. Um, but she, yeah, her her posture stiffens. She her shoulders go back, her chest up, and she carries herself through this area as if as if almost royalty, as if she feels worthy of the station. As you all step through the gate and begin making your way through the grounds, into the palace itself. Anybody ever seen Versailles? Photos of Versailles? Yes. Yeah, I've been there. Very much like that. <sighs> Bitch. Very much like, uh, just very just Baroque and opulent and just gold and red everywhere. And of course, yellow. You are led by a constant kind of... Uh, stream of guards, you know, kind of lined up on the sides, guiding guests that you are trailing and yourselves into the ballroom. It is huge, baroque, pristine. It is virtually impossible to determine how many people are in there, but it is filled to near capacity. Faces, masks, outfits seem to repeat, blur, blend together. It is just an ocean an all-encompassing ocean of bodies and masks and costume. Everywhere you look, there's paintings, pillars, a piece of art. The partygoers themselves, uniformly dressed in beautiful finery, wearing these demi-masks that cover their eyes and noses. Sideways glances are kind of thrown at you as you wear these these you know animal masks that you've received from Ambrose. The eyes opening and shutting as you you know move your own eyes. The mouths opening and closing as you speak. But what do you do? Uh, is it okay if I say that little puffs of steam come out of her nose whenever she breathes? Absolutely, love it. Fantastic. That's cool. Um. I hate to do, like to put this on you constantly, Cammy, but like Michael looks at Geneva. Um, yeah, oh, go on. yeah, I mean, I think she would be looking for Jay Lins, but I don't. Really, she doesn't. We don't know what he looks like, right? Right. So I don't even know how she would go about doing that. Um, so then, I guess the next thing on her checklist would be to attempt to scope out uh, like exits, potential threats or problems, like if there's more guards. Uh, she's not really doing anything like proactive that probably the others could like follow suit in. She's just kind of taking stock of everything around them while she tries to figure out how to find Jalen's. Okay. As you kind of look around, go ahead and roll. Every, everybody, go ahead and make alertness rolls. We'll see what you see and when you see it. 
Ah, now I fail. Okay, 98 out of 86 for Geneva, 13 out of 76 for Mark, 33 out of 82 for Michael. And 18 out of 63 for Cassie, beautiful. Uh, Geneva, you you have a problem with enclosed spaces, right? Yeah, I still do, yep. That is, so you're not, that feeling is definitely coming to the forefront with just these people all around. It's impossible to not feel slightly claustrophobic with just all of these individuals just surrounding you and you are just drowning in an ocean of bodies. Um, not quite enough to trigger your disorder, right? But it's it's enough to definitely put you on edge and, and as, as try as you might to just kind of make sense of your surroundings, it is difficult when everywhere you look, there are just more masks, more bodies, uh, more guards, just things and threats and and it's it's sensory overload for you to an extent gotcha for the rest yeah for the rest of you uh you notice that there is this old plain woman in black sitting on a divan uh divan d-i-v-a-n divan divan yeah near the entrance um flanked by a crowd and attended by a thin blank-faced possibly a relation, maybe a son. It looks like she's reading tarot cards. Um, at the far end of the ballroom on a beer, uh, surrounded by these golden lion guards, appears to be, from what you can tell, the royal family. Sisters, two of them glowing in jeweled gold. Brothers wearing the red and gold uniforms of the Yatil military. Two advisors wearing white robes and black masks, all standing to either side of an empty golden throne. No sign of the king. And Cassie, I'd say with that role, you're kind of looking around at the art and 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 everything around you. And there's there's I mean tapestries and paintings everywhere. And you notice one in particular. It it kind of looks like you know the painting, The Creation of Adam? Yes. It looks like that, but it's with a familiar figure and a clown. Oh. Is is that Ira? Yes. Is he naked? From the top up. Okay. The, the bottom appears to have kind of exploded into this red mist. Oof. She stops and is her body is immediately arrested by this sight and remembering the terror that she felt uh, trying to just get out of that place, uh, out of the Dorchester house uh, and seeing Iris' body explode in that mist. And she remembers that time that he visited her in her dreams and he she hears that whisper again uh, and it almost drowns out the 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 opulent music that's going on around her. And I'd say that Mark, you know, since he keeps an eye on her, would see that she's just kind of frozen in place and looking at this this painting. Yeah, I seeing her gaze on this painting, Mark would look at it himself. Huh. Uh, somebody's got a sick sense of humor. Do you think they're here? What? Uh Jenny and Ira, do you think they they might be here? 
If they are, I think I think it'll be like before. Remember when we seen them on the way to the Hotel Brattlebin? It's like they were there, but they weren't there. I, I, I think they're gone, and I, I hope they went someplace nicer than this. We should find JC. Yeah, and uh, what was that that... Remember that invitation we got uh, back a uh, long time ago after after we got out of the the Dorchester house? Didn't it it say something about a girl in blue? Oh, did it? Let's see. Should I mean, it, yeah, it like the, is it the message or the yeah bottle bit of invitation? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Go now, find the hotel, the labyrinth, the author, his bottle, the city, the lake, the shadow, the battle, then the party, the dance, the girl in blue, the one singing, nothing is true except out is through, love and kisses, Abby. Um, yeah, she would have memorized that. I didn't, obviously, as a player. But um, but yeah, when you say that, she will perk up and start to look around the room and see if there's anyone, if she can hear any singing or see anybody dressed in blue. Oddly enough you look back towards the royal family and standing alone at the base of that beer is a woman resplendent in a blue ball gown with this blue mechanical demi-mask shaped like a cat's face just dourly watching the crowd. There's that feeling of recognition and your eyes meet and immediately you see her body language change and she rushes through the crowd over to you. Yeah, she'll wait for her to come to them. It's you. You're here. Um, Come on, just follow me, okay? Stay close. Uh, she looks back at the others, but is following. Geneva goes as well. And therefore, so does Michael. <laughs> yep. Mark Mark will follow last. A little bit confused by this, but sure. She pulls you into this kind of curtained area just off to the side and removes her mask. And and uh, Mark and Cassie, you immediately recognize Abigail Wright. Looking no different than she did from the photos you saw back in 1995. Is this a sanity roll? Oddly enough, no. Okay, fantastic. Then, uh, since it's not breaking our brains, uh, Cassandra will just almost like regarding her as like a warm, in, a, in this warm way. Abigail, uh, it's good to finally meet you. She hugs you and hugs Mark. I can't believe you finally made it. Um, God, it, it feels like it's been forever. It's been at least 20 years. That long. What are you doing here? Well, I'm, I'm home. This is home for me now. Why did you send us this invitation? Well, you had your part to play. You all did. This is, this is exactly where you're meant to be. Even them, and she'll turn back towards uh, Geneva and, and Michael. 
yeah, even them. Do you have the bottle? Cassandra looks up at Geneva. Do you know where J.C. Lenz is? You, you do have it. I do. She tries to hide it, but she she seems almost overjoyed. Like, her hands stop halfway to her face, almost as if she's about to, like, cover her mouth in just sheer giddy excitement, but she collects herself. Good. Okay. Um, she kind of looks back at the royal family and looks back to you all. You've got to give it to him. He wears a... Uh, He's wearing a raven mask. What is this going to do? It's going to start everything. What does that mean? He doesn't know that he needs to write the play. But he will now. And this play, what's its purpose? It's his will. It's the play. The King in Yellow, Luan and Jun... And that's everything. He needs to write it. It, it. The man in the raven mask, is that J.C. Lenz? Yes. Yes, that's... He's the author. He's the one who needs to write it. And that bottle is how he writes it. Well, I mean, why... Why is that a good thing? You're still thinking in terms of good and bad. It's cause and effect, Mark. It's just it needs to happen. What will the effect be? It gets you here. When you say you, do you mean people in the, and she does like air quotes, real world? It will bring them here? No, no. It, it, it just needs to happen. I think she means us. But we're already yes, here. Yes, yes. We're already here, Abigail. Yeah, so what is the And you need to be here again. I need to be here again. You need to be here again. They need to be here again. It can't happen without the play. You mean a cycle? Yes. What happens if we aren't here again? All I know is is you can't be here when he arrives. Cassie, look at me. You cannot be here when he arrives. Well, maybe not you. I think you're always meant to be here, but them, your friends, if they want to go home, they can't be here when he shows up. What will happen? I don't know. And she looks visibly terrified at this prospect. I just don't want to see anything else happen to you. Abigail, I I don't think you're going to tell me the truth, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Is there anything we can do to stop all this? Why would you want to? Well, I, I could give you a bunch of reasons, but let's just... What about if I were to say that we wanted to? Is there anything we can do? The only way I can really answer that is by asking you a question. Can you stop the sun from rising and setting? Can you stop the planets from orbiting each other? Can you stop entropy? Can you stop any of it? 
He's no different. Hang on. What? What is he? Really? He's the king. Have you seen him? Yes. Does he speak? Does he say anything to you? Is he the one who's told you all of this? Yes. Why wouldn't he want to see us then? If we... Does he want us to give this bottle to JC? Does he want this play written? written? Yes. But I just need to make sure that I understood something you said earlier correctly. If we give the bottle to JC, we can go home before the king gets here? If you can find your way back, yes. Definitely want a human to check that. Go for it. Uh, at that, Michael will turn to Geneva and go, we need to fucking go now. With an 8 out of 84, uh, Mark, she is absolutely telling the truth. There is no sign of deception in her or from her at all. Um, he means it. Tag on it. I'd almost give him up hope. You just need to play your role. Cassandra puts her uh, her hand on Mark's shoulder and uh, actually both of his shoulders and just gently spins him towards her, their masks facing each other. Uh, and she leans in just a little bit. You know, it has to be done. It has to be written. If Geneva and Michael don't don't want that that's fine that's that's their prerogative but we were here at the beginning and we need to be here at the end Cassie what if what if by not writing it it can all be undone you know that's not how this works yeah you're right Geneva I understand if you and Michael don't want to be here when he's here but we need to give him that bottle yeah uh, you mean the king no, no JC the okay the, yeah wait yeah but you don't want to be here when he's here too right Mark reaches out and forcefully grabs um, grabs Cassandra's shoulders. You don't want to be here when he gets here, right? You're coming back with us. She can't. That was Abby who said that? Yeah. What do you mean she can't? Well, you saw what happened to her in the library. No, no that's not fair. That's... Y'all just break the rules whenever you want to, you know that? I hate to tell you, Mark, the rules are whatever he says they are. Well, we've been trying to follow him. And you've done And if that ain't gonna get us nowhere, then what the heck, man? Mark, she wants it. 
She's wanted it all along. You didn't see that? It ain't just up to her. Abigail kind of yeah, looks at Cassie, too. He looks at Cassie and says, it, it ain't just up to you. There's people back there. They love you. Geneva, we need to go find JC. Right now. I don't it, Cassie. This isn't the end of this. But yeah, let's find him. You've got maybe a half hour. Just you need to be gone. And she looks at you, Cassie, and says, as long as you do what needs to be done, everything you want to know, you'll know. She nods her head, and there's this little puff of steam that comes out of her nostrils. Good luck. Yeah, start to look for someone in a raven mask. Yep. All right. Go for that mask. Go ahead and make your search rolls. Ouch. Can I can I get a little bonus for rolling so well on alertness before? I'm no. Watching. Ah. <laughs> hey. Oh, looking good. All right, so Mark with an 8 out of 78. Geneva with a 71 out of 73. Michael with a 15 out of 60. Yeah, y'all are doing great. You all kind of, you don't quite split up, but you all, and Cassie with a 27 out of 73. You don't quite split up, but you you all kind of take different portions of the ballroom to search. I mean, there is just, it is oppressive how many people are in here. And so you all kind of take a different portion, sector of the ballroom to look constantly looking for a man in a raven mask in Geneva. You spot him first. A tall, thin, middle-aged man in an old-looking suit wearing the mask of a mechanical raven. It is almost identical to the ones that you and your compatriots wear and very clearly a creation of Ambrose. Uh, For some ungodly reason, this man is carrying around an old portable Remington Remet typewriter under one arm. This thing is big, bulky, and heavy, but this man's carrying it around and has a drink in the other hand. Yeah, she cuts through the crowd right towards him. Do you kind of point, do you point him out to any of the others? Not immediately, no. Okay. Uh, I'll say as as you begin pushing your way through, you all... Uh, the rest of you kind of see a ripple in the crowd as as some heads turn to regard uh, Geneva pushing her way through, and you realize that, that she's you kind of follow her gaze and see that she's fixated on this man carrying a typewriter and a raven mask. Yeah, well, want to see that? Uh, Sandra will immediately start to follow her. Okay. He, you, as you approach Geneva, like he is obviously drunk. You can hear him slurring his speech, and and he's talking to another guest who, who, but just based on their body language alone, seems rather bored of the conversation already. Um, you know, he's talking about writing and writer's block and the art, and what do you do? Uh, she just goes up to him, or uh, kind of not like putting herself in between him and the guys that he's talking to, but positioning herself so that she's like directly in his eyeline uh, and just goes, are you Mr. Lenz? Oh, hey, doll face. Yeah, yeah. JC Lenz at your service. 
I have something of yours. Do you now? <laughs> Is it another drink? No, not exactly. What are you writing? Right now? Fucking nothing. I'm on the skids. I got not a bupkis. No ideas. Just... I put sit down at this fucking godforsaken typewriter every night and just nothing. Not a goddamn single fucking thing. I might be able to help you with that. <laughs> oh, you're gonna be my muse? Uh, are there still like a bunch of people like right around us? Well, I mean, like, I, around us, but like paying attention. Like, is he still talking with that other guy? Or did that other guy leave? Oh no, no, no. He he's fixated on you, and the other guy is kind of taking the opportunity to separate himself. But yeah, there's people all around you, but nobody like in particular paying attention directly to you. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, since time seems to be of the essence. <laughs> She's just going to reach in and not like flash it, like wave it around, but just kind of like hold the bottle out in front of her. Say, this is yours. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, you, oh my God, you, you found it. Um, oh my, yeah, he sets down the typewriter, um, grabs the bottle from you and immediately begins fumbling with it. it, you know, pulling on the cork. And you, with a satisfying pop, the cork comes free from the bottle and he holds it up to his ear and listens. And he listens. His eyes moving behind that mask, processing whatever it is he's hearing and you hear nothing. He smiles, his face just lost in rapture. And finally, he slowly brings the bottle away from his ear. I know it. I know it. I know. I know the story I need to write. He just kind of throws the bottle and picks the typewriter back up and grabs you, Geneva, by your shoulder. Along the shore, the cloud waves break. The twin suns sink behind the lake. The shadows lengthen in Carcos. I've got it. I've got it. Oh, I've got it. Ha <laughs> ha! And he, he laughs and immediately runs off into the crowd. I need you and everyone with you to make a sanity roll as you all realize that you have just given birth to the king in yellow. Yeah. Ah, diggity darn it. Okay, so Geneva with, uh, or Cassie with a 51 out of 25, that is a failure. Geneva with a 47 out of 39, that is also a failure. Mark, with a 39 out of 57, you succeed. And Michael, with a 21 out of 52, you succeed. Those who succeed, roll 1d6. Those who fail, roll 1d20. Oh! Oh, oh, oh. oh okay. Oh, Cassie. That's like half your sanity, dude. Oh, my. So Also, good job, Cammy. Yeah. <laughs> Close. Michael, you lose five. Geneva, you lose three. Mark, you lose five. Cassie, you lose 14. Yikes. I am one point away from my breaking point. Oh, that's way better than I thought. You watch as JC Lynn's just vanishes among the crowd. 
What do you do now? Fucking regret all my life choices. I don't know. Like, I don't think there was a way. I yeah, mean, like, like, I feel like Geneva's feeling is I had I have no clue what else we could have done, but I feel like this was still the bad, the wrong choice. So she's frustrated. <laughs> Cassandra reaches out to Mark and tries to take one of his hands. Mark gives it to her. And she starts to lead him to the dance floor where everyone else is dancing. You dance with me. Oh, we gotta get out of here. Please, this is the first time I've I've wanted to dance in so long. One dance, Cassie, one dance. All right? You can't tell because she's wearing a mask that covers her face, but she is very much smiling and starts to lead Mark towards the the dance floor or whatever space everyone else is sort of congregating and dancing and being jovial. Now, my understanding is that the masks uh, have mechanical features that kind of represent what's going on underneath the mask. Right. So you... So I might be able to see that you're smiling, but it's a minotaur <laughs> with steam coming out of her nose that's smiling. So it's it definitely is not a uh, a, a good image to have. But Mark will follow. I, he kind of looks back at Michael and Geneva. There's like a pleading in his eyes. I mean... Yeah. Leaving. Okay. I think Geneva kind of sees you guys go to the dance floor. She gives you like a, I mean, you can't see unless the mask can emote it, but like a, what the fuck are you doing? And then she just turns and she goes out the door. I mean, assuming that's what you mean by, you know, you can't be here. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, so what's what's the plan? How are you looking to get your to what's your what's your plan of attack or your route? Well, I mean, for Cassandra, all we knew is that we had to give the bottle to the guy so that right. we could be present for when he arrives. Well, well, you and you and uh, Mark are dancing, so I'm yeah. going to focus on Geneva. Okay, and, like, got it. Yeah, right, I just wanted, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to make sure. Totally, absolutely. I mean, I don't think Michael has too much of a, of a plan other than get out of the palace before the king arrives, because that seems to be the prerequisite of him being able to get home if he can find a way. And once he, the king arrives, it seems like that's not going to be a possibility anymore. So he just wants to book. Like, the comedy version is him just fucking booking it out of there, but I think the real version is more like if he catches Mark looking at them, he's going to give him a sad smile, shake his head, and walk out the door. Um, really quick, because I'm trying to determine if, like, the you can't be here is, like, Carcosa, or if it's, like, the palace. <laughs> I don't know if I could do any kind of, like, human, or I don't know if there's even a check I could do to kind of determine what does that mean and how would we accomplish that, other than just doing what Michael's doing and running out the door, which I don't know how effective that's going to be. Oh, we could ask Abigail how to leave. That's true. Yeah. Can I can I see Abigail? You don't see her. Yeah, she hides. Fucking Abigail. 
<laughs> Fucking Abigail. Uh, do I see anyone that I recognize? I, I mean, they all have masks. It's a dumb question. Never mind. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I guess the only potential solution that Geneva can think of is just get out of the castle because I have no fucking clue how we're going to get out of Carcosa. Roll an alertness uh, roll for me. Okay. Uh, both of us are just Geneva. But yeah, both. 35 out of 86. Okay. 69 and 82 nice. for Michael. Good. I think okay. that just means we win. We got right? it. Nailed yeah, it. you win. Yeah, yeah. We win the game. <laughs> nice. We win the game. Uh, nice. You're kind of just frantically looking around, looking for someone or something you recognize. Um, you Something catches your eye, and you see that this old woman kind of in the corner uh, by the entrance looking at you. There, There is a line of people kind of waiting to have their, their cards read, but she is looking directly at you and Michael. All right. Uh, she'll kind of say Michael's name to get his attention, but she's like already walking in that direction. He follows. Okay. But he's kind of like prattling at her. Like, don't you think we should be going? Should we be going? Should we Should we be fucking with this? Don't, don't we need to leave? That kind of thing. Out is through, right? Then she just walks up to the woman. <laughs> She kind of, as she sees you approach, there's a gentleman kind of seated in front of her having his cards read. And uh, even though she's like mid, mid reading, she like shoes him away and, and tells him to leave. And he kind of storms off in a huff. Miss Brown, have a seat. Yeah, she sits down. She begins shuffling the deck to and fro stacking and spinning and fanning the cards in this impressive, almost hypnotic display. And finally, without warning, she just sprays them directly in your face to the point where where you kind of jump back and stumble. And when you kind of regain your composure and look around, you're alone in this room this abandoned ballroom all others are gone and there's a trail of tarot cards on the floor leading into the darkened halls of the palace oh fuck me she goes she runs pretty much she's go she's moving fast we'll see where you and michael end up in just i was gonna ask michael's with her right no uh God damn it. <laughs> Cassie and Mark. What do you do? Uh, I mean, we're dancing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I assume that uh, Cassie is uh, seems to be enjoying herself. Yeah, I mean, she's got this sort of dazed. Uh, she's like, it's, it's almost trance like the way that she's falling into into step with everybody else. Um but yeah, she just seems kind of throwing her head back and her body back and, you know, swinging with Mark, uh, you know, just uh, having a good old time. Almost ecstatic. As Mark is, uh, you know, moving around the, the dance floor, uh, you know, doing uh, t t putting his uh, education as a southern gentleman to uh, 
uh, to use, you know, uh, showing off some dance moves. Um, he looks over at, at Cassie and says, It's been so long that... No. No, let's admit it. I don't think I've ever seen you this... This happy. This at ease. I know. It's, it's, it's wonderful. I don't... Why? Because I'm already dead. I'm not in the world. Here I'm not. You're... That the... Oh, heck. It makes perfect sense. Cassie. You can't leave me. I... I can't go on. I've lost too much. I don't want to lose you, too. You have to do what's right for you. And I have to do what's right for me. That's not how it works when... That's... That's not how it works when you love somebody. She doesn't say anything. She does stop for a moment. And... Holds you in place and looks at you. The brow of the mechanical bull mask just kind of furrows. And there's a little bit of steam out of the nostril. What do you want to do, Mark? I want to get out of here. I want to go back. I want to see my kids and my mom and try and salvage what I can out out of all that. I want to take you with me. She wraps her arms around his his torso, kind of scooping them up his back and pulls them into her and puts her head on his shoulder and leans in and whispers, you'll never have me. And she lets go and begins to drift off into the crowd, catching the arms of others who are dancing in the same manner and just... Reveling. Mark watches her as she goes. Um, so this is where, unfortunately, I when I switch computers, I am miss my uh, my Delta Green book didn't uh, make it. So I need to. Uh, I've. Can you look up? Um, so my my disability is obsession. Yes. My, uh, yeah. Disorder. Yep. A disorder is a uh, obsession. What are the consequences of that if I let Cassie go? Well, let's find out. Yeah, because I, I, I think there are consequences of that. There might very well be. Yeah. So stand by one. Let me pull it up. There we go. Your agent becomes fixated on some person, place, event, act, or idea. Losing two plus sand in any single roll triggers an acute episode which lasts days. In that time, any long-term action or skill use, anything taking more than a few hours is at negative 20% because your agent's mind is so often wrapped around its obsession. So in this case, um, make a sanity roll. Okay. That's a failure. 72 out of 52. Okay, roll 1d5. 
Or 1d6, sorry. D6. I don't think there's a D5. Four, okay. Um, so that triggers an acute episode for you at the, the, the idea and the sensation of losing Cassie. So you're at negative 20%. With that, I will ask you to make an alertness roll. Okay. So so I am now uh, under an acute episode where uh, everything, all my rolls are at negative 20%. Yep. I, I still am able to go on, but it's it's difficult for me. It's difficult to focus, yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, you want an alertness roll? Yes, please. Okay. Uh, that's still a success. It is. So with a 32 out of 76, beautiful. You notice one of the waiters is kind of standing off to the side against the wall, grinning at you. And you recognize Thomas Manuel. Oh. He opens a door that you didn't realize was there and gestures standing to the side with a sweep of his arm like he's waiting for you. You got no reason to want to help me. We, uh, things didn't work out so well for you. Why would you do this? I've got my part, you've got yours. I definitely want to try to figure out if he's telling the truth or not. Sure. Yeah. Roll human. Okay. That's a, still at a minus 20. Yes, sir. Oh, yep. With a 59 out of 84. Yeah. You, uh, he's telling the truth. He has his part to play. You have your part to play. Oh, great. Okay. I guess that's reassuring. Um, I take one last look at the crowd and Cassie has probably just disappeared into it. And I turn towards the door and I go through. We're now going to do our epilogues. Oh, man. (laughs) Can I, can I ask you a question first, Vince? You may. I have no idea what uh, Michael was doing. I know. Okay. <laughs> Vince knows. <laughs> I've got an I've got an ending in mind for you. Do you want to know what it is? Is it nice? No. Did, does he get to keep his bathrobe? Yeah, he does. Hell yeah! Oh, uh, but I succeeded on my alertness roll. Where's my? <laughs> I know. I literally succeeded on every single roll tonight. You did. Give me something nice. You played your part. <laughs> um, Cassie the minutes tick away the clock winds down and then eventually the clock strikes and tolls the hour of midnight a hush settles over the crowd they all seem to be looking expectantly towards the throne at the other end of the ballroom. But then you suddenly realize that they're all looking back towards you. And you become aware of a presence behind you. 
What do you do? Uh, she is a bit taken aback, uh, having been caught up in the stance and realizing that everyone else has stopped and is looking at her now. She relaxes uh, only momentarily before realizing that she's in a royal court and then she straightens up and seeing that everyone's looking beyond her will slowly start to turn around to see what's or who is behind her. He towers over you, clad in gold, an oversized figure with a plain white face, draped in gold and silver scalloped cloth. He hands you a bottle. Upon it, etched in a bronze plaque, is your name. Beneath it, scraped into the glass, is a single word. Home. Beyond him, you see two figures, wearing the masks of a dog and a snake. A man and a child. A boy. And you know who they are. She clutches the bottle to her chest, almost embracing it like a, like a child a small child uh, she looks up and she's tempted to take off the mask but realizing where she's at she just utters mutters to her and this this king in front of her thank you and she bows and takes a very deep curtsy do you open the bottle she turns the plaque back to face her, looking at the etched, etched word on the bottom. And her finger finger goes over the plaque once, and looking around, does she see the other three at all? No. Seeing that she's gone, and seeing the two figures standing beside the king, she puts her fingers onto the cork, and lifts, pulling it out from the from the opening. Roll sanity. I mean, does it matter? Yeah, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> With a twenty-two out of eleven, roll one d one hundred. You lose sixty-five sanity. <laughs> Got freaking lobotomized. The bottle whispers to you. The play exists to make itself, and in doing so, it makes the world. And you, Cassie, are home. There, in the palace in Yatil, in the heart of Carcosa, in the court of the Yellow King. And your tale has come to a close. Michael, you wake from a strange, you wake from a strange reverie about a masquerade. You're being dragged from your seat by an orderly. He and the other orderlies in the room strap you screaming to a gurney and shove a ball gag into your mouth to silence you. 
Dr. Maximo Friend enters the room, carrying two hypodermic needles, an ice pick and a mallet. One hypodermic needle is empty. The other is filled with the black fluid. And immediately you know you are back in Dorchester House. In fact, you may never have left. As you try to scream through this ball gag on this gurney, Dr. Friend extracts this thick red patsu from your eye socket. He then runs the ice pick up your nose at a steep angle until it touches the far end of your sinus cavity between your eyes. He taps the ice pick sharply with the mallet. Pain explodes through your brain as the ice pick pierces bone. Dr. Friend withdraws the ice pick, inserts the other syringe in the same place, and injects that black fluid into the new hole in your skull. You begin seizing as your mind is filled with these horrific, otherworldly images. You don't know how long you convulse for, and it is hard to make sense of all the images that have cascaded through what's left of your mind. Finally, when the convulsions subside, the orderlies remove the ball gag from your mouth. Dr. Friend draws up a chair and says, Go on. Immediately, you begin reciting lines from a play. Dr. Friend furiously scribbles them into a book. And you recite, despite having never read it, The King in Yellow. Your tale comes to a close, as Michael is forever lost to the night world and the Dorchester house. It's because I made that fucking ABBA joke, isn't it? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, man, poor Michael. I was hoping he would have a... Well, actually, I knew he was going to have a dog shit ending, but... Only because, like, the only reason I chose that one for you is because of the descent that you played. The Like, it just made sense that... Yeah. He would either... He would either end up back there or maybe never left. Yeah, I was actually thinking uh, it would be because I was thinking about uh, the first time they saw him and I was like, oh, he's never been there yet. So I'm like, that's probably where he's going Yep, uh, is on the gurney and the and the night floors. Yeah. If, if, <sighs> if, if you would, if you. Uh, yeah, I just I, I felt like it was very fitting for the way you were playing Michael towards the end there, just in the bathroom. Oh, completely surrendered to his to his fate <laughs> you know yeah the only thing i i would even like remotely posit as a as a change is like the struggling and the screaming i think at some point he would just be completely limp like dead fish oh, yeah. limp, you yep. know what i mean and just yep. like muttering the the stuff when they injected that goop into his brain <laughs> oh poor michael but thank you vince you bet Geneva, you are alone in this abandoned ballroom, a trail of tarot cards leading off into the dark. What do you do? Oh, geez. Oh, it's an active. Okay. Uh, She's just following the the tarot cards. She just assumes that they're going to lead her wherever she needs to be. They do. They lead to a small, uneven door embedded in a wall. Through this door, you find an opening into a filthy and dark underground space. Some kind of basement. Wooden steps leading up. A single 
barely shining dim light bulb hanging from the ceiling. You turn back and the door that you entered through is gone. Just bare stone walls, a dirt floor, and those wooden stairs leading up. What do you do? She goes up the stairs. You open the door, this trap door set into the ceiling, and you climb up. And you find yourself in a bookstore. Rows upon rows of leaning shelves filled with books. The various paths cut through the leather and, and, and paper, meandering and winding. It's daylight. You can make it out through the front window. Obviously, books have been painted at one point on the inside of it, but now there's just a dim outline of the word. The door is open, and through it you can hear the sounds of a city. You step out into New York City and Manhattan and roll 1d20. One. You regain one sanity as you rejoin the world, having escaped Carcosa. My God. And that is... I feel... Oh, I feel like just really quick, as soon as she's out there, she looks over her shoulder, kind of just assumed that Michael was right behind her, as he always is. And when she sees that he's not there, there's like this genuine moment of like guilt and shame. And that's where it ends for her, probably. It is indeed. And finally, Mark. You enter through that doorway and it shuts behind you and you find yourself in a long hallway carpeted doors on either side and you remember this you remember the night floors how could you ever forget that you transited all those years ago you begin walking its hallways trying to find your way to the smoking lounge trying to find your way back in this long bland hallway you look to your left and you see that the wall has faded into transparency through it you can see four individuals frantically looking for a way through a way out you see Jenny you see Ira You see Cassie and you see yourself, 20 years younger, freshly on the trail of Abigail Wright. Roll sanity for me, please. Thanks. Okay. Do I still, uh, do I have a minus 20 to sanity as well? No. No. Okay. Oh, that's still 41 out of 52. You lose one sanity. Remembering everything you've learned about how Carcosa operates, how the night floor is operated, you begin trying to find your way out. And eventually, who knows how long, you find your way to the smoking lounge. You climb those steps down and you open the door and you find yourself stepping out into a parking garage in Manhattan, in New York City where the McAllister building once stood all those years ago. Roll 1d20 for me, please. 
Ooh, and that 20, baby. You regain 20 sanity. Oh, jeez. Nice. I am seeing life with a clarity I have not ever seen before. And so, we come to our end of sorts. A play that contains multitudes. All who died, all who live, all who yet shall. Upon this stage with us forever. Curtain. And that, folks, is where we will end this campaign. Thank you for listening to Delta Green, Impossible Landscapes, part of the Black Project Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to visit blackprojectgaming.com for previous Delta Green episodes. You can also listen to our ongoing Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Barovia, California campaigns. If you'd like updates on all future releases, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Until next time, I'm Vince, your host and handler, with Brett as DEA Special Agent Michael Whitwer, also known as Agent Vega, Cami as FBI Special Agent Geneva Brown, also known as Agent Venus, Doug as FBI Special Agent Mark Hansom, also known as Agent Meshock, and Jack as FBI Special Agent Cassandra Troy, also known as Agent Madison. Thank you again, and remember, we'll be seeing you. <laughs>